We all don't know me. My name is Travis Hall, and I have the privilege and honor um, to be able to serve as an elder here. Um, so, uh, so why don't we kind of dive in this morning? Um, right now is kind of a unique time, and Rebecca kind of hit on that a little bit of it being New Year's Eve. And who had the opportunity to kind of reflect back on 2017 and kind of look back at, at all that's happened, how we've grown during the year, all the, the crazy events that's happened like Harvey and, and, uh, and some of the other, you know, maybe more personal events in our lives. And it's also a time to look forward, right? And it's, it's a time to, to look at 2018 and maybe we have a, a clean slate or a fresh start. And it's just, it's something where we can, we can look ahead and we can see all the, the potential possibilities that are ahead of us. Um, you know, part of the thing that we do in our society is, is we come up with these New Year's resolutions, right? And it's, it's one way, it's, maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's a big thing, but it's something that you kind of decide for yourself that you're going to do in the coming year to make yourself a better version of yourself. So how many of y'all have done a New Year's resolution in the past? You know, most, most people here, myself included. How many of y'all have actually followed through past the first two weeks? Yep, not as many. What about past the first month? And a few less than that. Yeah, so uh, New Year's resolutions, a lot of great intentions, but uh, some, a lot of times following, uh, lacking a lot of follow-through. So uh, let's dive in a little bit into our text this morning. Um, so if you all open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, and it'll also be up on the screens as well. So we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel, this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously." Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast. 
according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or, an, or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Would you all pray with me over the, over the text? Father God, we are so thankful for your living word. Um, we pray that you use it this morning to, uh, to open our hearts to speak to us and to help us grow and transform, Father. So I pray you just um, you be here and you meet us where we are, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. So first of all, it's kind of a long passage of text. So I kind of want to look at Daniel and kind of give a little background on him and um, kind of how, we got, how he got to the point that he was at. So Daniel, who is he? He was an exiled and captured Jew by the Babylonians. So when the book of Daniel starts, Judah has fallen and Daniel has been taken as a captive um, from uh, from Judah into Babylon. And when he was in Babylon, he started off low and he continued to serve four different kings over 70 years, over different types of governments, different regimes, different empires. And he eventually, you know, from, started from the bottom and worked his way up to being second in command to King Darius. <clears throat> and in verses three and four, I want to I wanna focus on that. We kind of see why was he so consistent? Why was he so constant? Why did everything else change except for Daniel? So in verses 3 and 4, um, I'll, I'll read through those once more. If I can find it. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was within him. So Daniel was constant and dependable. In another translation, it says he had exceptional qualities. And kind of the root word of, of that in the, the old text is that which remains. So when you strip everything else away at his core, at his his innermost being, he was faithful, and he was all on God. And you can kind of see in chapter 1 of Daniel, when he first becomes, you know, exiled into, into Babylon, that, you know, he, he was living in a different place. He had to adopt, he had to adapt, right? He was no longer living with the Jews in Judah. He was in a new new country, a new regime, new empire. And so he had to change the way he, he operated. But what he didn't do is not once did he compromise those core beliefs or his faithfulness to God. He took on a new name. I mean, they started calling him Belshazzar. I don't know about y'all, but that's a horrible name. Um, he underwent training. So they started training him up in, in their ways. But in chapter one, we see that they tried to, to feed him you know, their food to help him become strong, but he refused. And he said, I'm not going to defile myself before the Lord. So that's, that's you know, why Daniel was so constant. It was his faithfulness in God. 
And you know, how we, how we go about doing our work and the attitude that we do it, that's everything. That's how we are able to, to continue to build, our, to build up within uh, the places that we're at. And finally, we see that Daniel is above reproach. I mean, the satraps could not find a single fault with him, not a one. And I don't know about y'all, but politicians usually are pretty slimy, and uh, it doesn't take long to find something that they did wrong. But Daniel served faithfully for 70 years in government, and they still couldn't find one thing. And the only thing that they could find wrong with him was his faith in God. That's pretty amazing. His one Achilles heel is his faith in God. I don't know about y'all, if someone looked into my life, that would not be my Achilles heel by any means. And then uh, the next thing I wanted to, to kind of look at with Daniel is that the satraps knew that he prayed continuously. They knew it. I mean, he, he wasn't hiding it. His faith was not private. You know, Jesus did not, or God did not send his son Jesus to come die for us, for us to keep it a secret. I mean, we have been given the great commandment to, to go, therefore, to all nations. And Daniel didn't do that. He, he didn't care who saw him or who knew what he was doing. He was in a foreign land. He was, a, he was completely surrounded by people who were completely different from him, but he didn't care. He still served faithfully. And so the satraps knew that, and they also knew that that was how they were going to get him as well. But, you know, faith is not private, but it definitely is personal, Right? Our faith should be the center of who we are as believers. And then verses uh, 10 and 11, we see that Daniel is a man committed to prayer. So the decree that the satraps kind of convinced the king uh, or tricked the king into signing said that no one, could, no one should pray to anyone but King Darius for 30 days. I don't know about you all, but if I was told, you're going to get torn to shreds by lions... If you pray to anyone other than the king for 30 days, I'd be like, you know, 30 days, it's not too long. <laughs> not too bad. I think I can survive that long. But not Daniel. I mean, he, he didn't even wait one day. He wasn't like, oh, let's see if I, can, if I can hold out. And he held out as long as he could. No, he just immediately went back to his place and started praying. But I think what's so cool about that is that the satraps knew that he was gonna he was gonna disobey and just go ahead and break the decree. Like they knew that that was he was so faithful and so um, so constant in his prayer and so dependent on God that he couldn't he could not not pray. So now that we know a little bit more and we've kind of looked at Daniel a little bit more. How can we? kind of take Daniel's example and kind of use that in our own lives? And how can we, how can we uh, apply that to ourselves? Well, first, we need to recognize our issues. Um, and I think the thing that's, that's, that we struggle with so much is that it's so hard to let Christ permeate our entire life in every aspect. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, so, we're so prone to building up silos I don't know if y'all know what silos are, but uh, my, uh, my mom's side of the family, they're, they're uh, a bunch of farmers, and um, silos are used in farming. So once you've planted your crops, and you've grown them, and you've harvested them, you have to store them somewhere before you can go sell them to uh, the customer so they can eventually be by eaten by us. So what they do is they store them in these silos or these gigantic cylinder buildings, 
Um, but uh, a lot of farmers, they have multiple types of crops, right? So up in Illinois, where my, where my family's from, um, they do corn and soybeans. But they can't mix them together, right? Because then when someone wants to come buy corn, then it's all intermixed, right? So they have one silo for the corn, and they have one silo for the soybeans. And so they fill them all up, and they keep them segregated, and they keep them separate. And you know, we do the same thing with our lives, right? So we've got our, our work silo and our secular silo. We've got our home silo and our personal life. And then we've got our church silo. And you know, we are like chameleons. We like to blend in with our, with our surroundings. We like to fit in, and we do it as a defense mechanism because we don't want anyone to really see the true us, no matter where we are. We want to have a, a little bit of a wall, a little bit of a barrier. And so that's how we, how we create those silos. Is when we're at work, we kind of blend in with those around us at work. And we, uh, we kind of hold off the God side of things. When we're at church, we kind of uh, hold off all the other things that we do at work. And we, we, you know, we talk the talk of church and we walk the walk there. But as soon as we step foot somewhere else, we kind of change our colors. And we, uh, we blend into wherever we are. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's the way that we don't, it, it's the way we help keep people out from seeing the real us. You know, we don't want our work, our work friends and our work, our work silo to see or to label us as maybe like God weirdo. We don't want to give up, <clears throat> we don't want to give up our personal ambitions for God's, you know, in our, in our personal silo. We don't want our church community to see how truly broken we are. So we put on that mask, we put up those walls of that silo. We just, in the end, we just want to fit in and not be judged. And we really just want to be selfish. But you know what? At the end of the day, if your goal is the approval of people, there's no way that we can live faithfully. You know, we are aliens in a foreign land just like Daniel is. You know, I'm sure many of you have, have heard the, the phrase that, you know, we should live in the world or live among the world. No, I would say that, say that wrong. <laughs> We should live in the world, but not of the world, right? And in Daniel 1, as I mentioned earlier, he kind of portrayed that, right? So he adopted cultures and ways. He got the training. He changed his name. But in no way or form did he ever compromise who he was at his core and his beliefs and his faith in God. So secondly, we need to recognize our purpose. Why are we here, right? You know, our job is to glorify and magnify God. It's as simple as that. And, you know, in one of the, in one of the biggest ways we do that is we, we do what we are created to do. You know, and from a high level, that is to glorify and magnify God. But he's given each one of us a certain place to work, a certain talents to use. And it's when we use those talents and those gifts well and for him is when we glorify him. In Colossians 3.23 you know, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know about y'all, but there are so many days when I go to work that I don't think about serving God. I think about doing my job well to impress my project manager or my boss. And so uh, I can get recognized or, you know, the client sees me doing a great job and they, they put in a good word for me with my boss. But it's not the mindset that we need to have. We need to have the mindset of is that I go to work and I work for Christ. I work for God. 
everything I'm doing for him, I do it to the best of my ability because it, that's what glorifies him. Whether I'm at home, when I'm, when I'm with my daughter and I'm spending time with her and I'm training her up and, and teaching her, I need to do that to the best of my ability because that glorifies God because I am training and building her up to know him. So what about y'all, where you're at? Does your employer refer to you as exceptional? Is your husband or your wife, your spouse, flourishing? How would your friends or your coworkers describe you and your attitude? And after an encounter with you, would someone have felt closer to Jesus? What about the checkout guy at the grocery store? After your encounter with him, would they feel closer to Jesus? Or the waiter that's been waiting on you um, as you've, you've uh, partaken in your meal? Or the person that you've honked out on the road because uh, they cut you off. That's definitely uh, one of my, my big shortcomings. So finally, we want to look at the impacts. What, what could happen if we actually do follow Daniel's example and we make Christ the center of our lives in all aspects? And in verses 14 and 15, we kind of see the king. And after all that, it finally hits him what's happened. And he realizes, you know, that Daniel has been praying to someone other than him. And his first reaction wasn't to get mad and say, yeah, throw him in the lion's den. No, he tried to save him. He did everything in his power to try and save Daniel because Daniel was a faithful servant. <coughs> and, you know, as you, as you look back, you know, Daniel wasn't serving. I mean, Daniel was, was technically serving King Darius and all the other kings that previously came before him, but Daniel was serving God. And it was just a byproduct that he served those earthly kings well. But, but Darius saw the value and saw how much Daniel brought to his kingdom. Even though he was different and he, was, he, was, he, wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a Persian, he wasn't a Mede, he, he was a Jew. But he saw Daniel and he appreciated the way he served and how faithful he was. And that also showed in, in Darius bringing him up to second in command. And, you know, this isn't the only time that Daniel encountered this. You know, eventually what, what we see is that Darius makes proclaims later on in the chapter, we won't, we won't read through that part, that Daniel's God is the one true and living God. After all of that, Daniel's faithfulness and his, uh, his consistency brought Darius to the acknowledgement that, that Daniel's God is the one and true God. And he proclaimed it to his entire empire, his entire kingdom, he, he proclaimed that out. So not only had Daniel then impacted uh, that local government, he is now starting to have an impact on the entire kingdom. And Daniel did the same thing with the previous king in Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he helped him out as well in chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar came to the same realization and he proclaimed that Daniel's God was the one and true God. He was just consistent day in and day out. So I know this is, this is a Christmas, Christmas season just ended, and I know I'm sure a lot of y'all have just spent some time with your family. Um, same with me, and it's, it's funny that uh, as you get older, you start to recognize some of the mannerisms and the, the, some of the inflections that we use, um, and we start recognizing the same things in, like, our grandparents, that, in our grandparents and our parents. I vividly remember every single time I see my mom interact with her grandkids, so like my daughter and my nieces and nephews, the way, you know, one of them will come up to her and they'll be like, and she'll say, what is it, honey? And 
As soon as she says that, I see my grandma standing right there saying the same thing to me. And I'm just like, whoa, my mom is my grandma. This is weird. And similarly, as I go through my day, I'll say something, and I just stop in my tracks, and I'm like, holy cow, that was my dad. And my 16-year-old self would be abhorred that I start to sound like my dad. But uh, my slightly more wiser self now is uh, pretty thankful because my dad's a pretty uh, amazing guy. But the reason we do that and that happens is because we are made in their image. I mean, we have their DNA flowing through us. So, you know, we innately are going to be like them whether we want to or not. But the other thing is it's the environment. I mean, we grew up and we spent so much time with them growing up that just eventually those things are going to rub off on us, right? The way, the, the way they, they move their arms, the way they talk, the, the certain words that they use, eventually we're going to pick up on those things whether we want to or not. And, you know, similarly, we should be the same way with God. We are made in his image. I mean, it clearly states that in Genesis, that we are made in God's image and that we should be spending so much time with him in his word and in his prayer that we just can't help that in our daily living, no matter where we're at, how we react to the situations that we're in start to look like God. And it's just, it flows out of us. We can't stop it. It just happens. And then we can look back and say, man, I handled that pretty well. Thanks, God. So what I want to do is I want to challenge y'all um, as we kind of wrap up here. I want to challenge y'all to live one consistent life. Because you know what? It's not ours anyways, right? It's been bought with a price. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. So it's not our life. We're living, we want to live a life for God. I mean, it's his story. It's not our story to, to organize and put silos where we want them. It's, it's God's story, and we should be living, it for, living in his story and working towards his goals. And you know, when people look at us long enough, and they really look at us, they shouldn't see us. They should be seeing Jesus. And you know, kind of tie in what we were talking about earlier with the New Year's resolution. I don't want this to be your New Year's resolution because New Year's resolutions, as we kind of pointed out, they're flimsy, right? They're us as humans white-knuckling our way to try and make ourselves better because, you know what, we can't. I mean, we're, we're broken, we're flawed. Thankfully, because over the next, because I don't want this to be your resolution for the next two weeks or the next month or just for 2018. I want this to be something that we are committed to in changing our lives and looking more like Christ in every aspect and breaking down those walls and just being real and authentic wherever we are. I want that to be the way that we live our lives consistently and constantly, just as Daniel did. Because in reality, you know, God did send Christ to die for us so he, that he could meet us where we are so that the Holy Spirit can transform us. It has nothing to do with, with what we can do for ourselves. So instead of making this your New Year's resolution for, for 2018, I challenge you all to make this your covenant with God going forward with the rest of your life. And so naturally, kind of what's going to happen after we talk about all this is like, why does it matter? You know, why would we want God and Christ to be the center of our life? Well, we kind of see it later on in chapter 6. You know, as Daniel gets thrown down into the lion's den, 
It's because God is our rescuer, right? He's the one who's rescued us from the lions, from our sins, as he sent Christ to die for us. So next week, Kurt's going to kind of expand on that a little bit more about Christ being our rescuer. Would you all pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful for your word and your consistency with us and your patience with us. And we pray that you just, you help us to, to realize that we're not living for ourselves, we're living for you, Father. And I pray that you just help us to break down those walls and those silos so that we're no longer, we're no longer trying to control how people see us in certain aspects and that we are just being true and authentic and living for you, Father. So I pray you help make that our covenant um, moving forward in this new, fresh start of this year, and that in 2018, we're going to start living this way, and it's going to be the way we live the rest of our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen.